You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Talky, 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 talky. So usually this is the part of the show where Poser and I would do our in media's race, conversational chat to make you feel like you're at the bar with the boys, joining in on the conversation. Uh, but it appears Poser will not be making an appearance tonight. Um, I'm assuming he fell asleep on his couch, probably watching sports. But I don't know. He maybe just was tired of me and didn't want to show up tonight. Um, but I think we should still do a podcast because it's Bama week. And fuck Bama. So we need a podcast to talk about the Alabama game. Uh, so first of all, let's just send our well wishes to Poser and to uh, the little Poser. Get well soon. I know that there's a little health scare going on, and I'm sure it'll all be fine. So send Poser all your love and prayers and thoughts. Uh, I'm sure he'll appreciate it. So now let's just talk shop here. Uh, my name is Paul Crew, and this is Sneaky Good Podcast. Totally going off the cuff here. I have never done a one-man show, and I'm not a radio host. I don't have radio training. I can barely host a podcast, and I don't even really do that because Poser's the host. Uh, I'm just more of like your guest entertainment and usually bad at that part too. So I don't have the option of just saying, uh-huh, and yeah, this week I actually have to talk and say things, and I suppose I should make them interesting. I don't really know what to do to be interesting on the radio. Um, I don't think I'm particularly good at being interesting, but here goes nothing, right? It's the Alabama game, so it should be excited, should be fired up. I think people are, there's a little bit of a malaise about this game, uh, considering the way the seasons have gone. Alabama has looked absolutely dominant. We'll get into that. And LSU has tanked and then resurrected in a way that no one would have predicted. I want to talk about that for a minute because I think something that's not really been uh, credit where credit is due. People are happy, of course, that LSU started playing well again. But there still seems to be this sort of uh, yeah, but syndrome to the whole LSU thing. Like You look at LSU's schedule and you look at what they've done. So after the devastating loss to Troy, that really was the, re- the, the reset button, right? The the staff, the players, the team, everyone got together and said, we got to get this fixed. And you've heard those sort of things before. And so it's pretty easy to sort of brush it off and being like, ha, good luck. You just lost to Troy at home. Right? Okay, so I, I get the cynicism. So they go on the road. They beat Florida. It was an ugly win. And it was a win that everyone, including us on the show, pretty much did the yeah, but to. Yeah, but... Florida sucks. And Florida 
does suck. They just fired their coach. Not entirely for sucking, but kind of for sucking, and also because he's a giant asshole that even they couldn't stand, which says a lot because they're Florida. Um, so, yeah, but you beat Florida. Okay, so that, that felt good. You know, it's better to win than to lose, but we all kind of agree that Florida sucks, and that wasn't, it wasn't some huge monumental win. It was a nice win. So then the next week, again, you get Auburn. Auburn comes to town. Um, there was a little more anticipation, I would say, for the Auburn game than what I felt this week. Maybe that's my interpersonal feelings. Um, but there was sort of a puncher's chance that we thought we had with Auburn. And the way we laid it out on this show was, hey, LSU makes some plays on defense. Uh, Auburn makes some turnovers. If LSU can uh, maybe hit some big plays on offense, hit a passing play, get that Kevin Steele secondary second guessing, get some confusion going. Maybe they steal one. And the game didn't really end up playing out so much like that. Uh, what you had was basically Auburn comes firing out the gates and then LSU comes back slowly and meticulously and just outplays Auburn for the rest of the game. But again, that game was a yeah, but game because the response to that was Auburn lost it. I'm air quoting here. Auburn lost the game. Not LSU won it, but Auburn lost the game. Um, and a lot of people pointed to Malzahn's offense and the way he went conservative, and particularly a late decision to punt rather than go for it on a fourth down, which is very un-Malzahn-like. And yeah, all those things contribute, but it's part of the game. And all credit due to the players. They rallied, they stood up, the defense played well, and they won that game. And took a punch, which is a main criticism that we had early on in the season, right? Poser said it again and again and again. This team had no character, essentially. They would first sign a bad thing to happen. They just collapsed on themselves, and they gave up. And the Auburn game was like the antithesis of that because they just were tough and gritty as hell and clawed back from a huge hole and didn't do it with, like, a bunch of – you know, a fury of knockout blows. It's, this was body punches largely that they kept delivering again and again until they finally put Auburn down late in the game. And so then the next week, of course, we go to Oxford, a very battle Miss team. And a, <laughs> I joked on the side about this and a little bit on Twitter, but a lot of people were anxious about this game. Like, oh, this is a classic trap game. LSU gets a big win. Now they got to go play a road game against a bad team. They're going to overlook them, and nothing of the sort happened. They went to Oxford and just completely stomped on the Rebels, um, caused one of their worst offensive performances of the season, knocked out their starting quarterback for the year, uh, get well soon, Shea Patterson. But LSU dominated that game. Darius Geis put on a show, put himself back into that uh, sort of Heisman Netherland. No, that's a crazy thought, but we'll talk about that too. Um, and LSU really has completely turned their season around in three weeks, which is a lot to say. Then they get the bye, and everything is geared towards Bama. And so you have those three wins, and there's sort of um, you get the escalation from Florida to Auburn, then a you know a downturn in opponent against Ole Miss. But they handled business, and they played like the team you would expect them to play. Uh, I never really was concerned about the Ole Miss team. They match up. We match up with them so well. Uh, this is this particular brand of 
LSU football, year one of Ed Ogeron has been a pretty solid, if not spectacular, pass defense, particularly against Auburn. They were dominant with all the pass breakups. Uh, very good secondary that's loaded with NFL talent. And the, the question marks in the secondary were guys like Grant Delpit needing to be a starter and how fast could he grow up. And boy, has he grown up, right? Uh, so you have all of that going down. And then uh, Ole Miss just didn't really match up with LSU in a way that could challenge them. They don't run the ball well. LSU can't really stop the run successfully. Ole Miss still found success running the ball, but they ended up in such a huge hole and they were turning the ball over. It just didn't really, they weren't in a situation to lean on that and take advantage um, the way that some other teams on LSU's schedule might be able to. So it was a really nice matchup for LSU, and that was the primary reason I wasn't really concerned. But it's always nice to go on the road in the SEC, take care of business, do your thing, dominate your opponent, get out of there without any injuries. And now we're going to a bye week. And I think the biggest pluses right now is this is the healthiest LSU team all season. Remember early in the season we had suspensions, so I'm going to lump that into the health discussion. We had all the suspensions in week one against BYU, and some of them carried over into the ensuing weeks. Players like Frank Heron, which I've talked about a lot on the site, on the pod. Uh, I think Frank Heron was a huge piece of the 2017 LSU team that just got completely overlooked as the early season struggles went on. Um, He was a a, a factored starter that was out. And LSU was trying to make do along the defensive line and had injuries and all of those things added up into the, the couple of losses they had and really showed against Mississippi State. Uh, again, shouldn't have been a talent issue against Troy, but they were banged up in that game too. And it doesn't help things. And so now LSU's really getting healthy. They've got their defensive line rebuilt. Their young freshmen are no longer quite the young pups that you see in the first three weeks of the season. They know their assignments better. They feel comfortable. They feel confident. They know what it's like to hit the tunnel and hear the roar. They know what it's like to play on the road in front of a crazy crowd and listen to cowbells. And all of that stuff can't really be overstated because it's important. These guys are no longer taking the field and starry-eyed and in wonder here. They're taking the field as uh, important members of the defense, important members of the offense. And I, I say that for the offensive linemen too. Uh, Sadiq Charles, who's now our left tackle, depending on what you believe about KJ Malone, which I think is just a smoke screen. Um, and then you've got Ed Ingram playing right guard, who's just a big physical mauler. And O has singled both of these guys out this week, talking about rebuilding the lines and that they need more players like that. Um, and I, I totally agree with them. If you read my Better Know a Freshman pieces, these kids came in ready to play. I mean, these were big, physical guys. Both of them, you know, in that 6'4", six, 6'5", six, range. Both of them well over 300 pounds. Neither one of them uh, were bad bodies. They both were, in, you know, in pretty good shape kids. They weren't, um, they, were that, they were healthy 300 pounders, if there is such a thing. So um, it wasn't like a, like a Tyler Shelvin, you know, is a guy that we're worried about. Can he get into shape? And there was never any of those concerns with Charles and Ingram. Those guys were ready to go as true freshmen. And it took them a little bit to get going, as you would expect, playing line 
in the SEC, a lot different than playing in high school where you can physically dominate everyone that stands in front of you, especially when you're an elite level recruit. Um, and they were also being shuffled around constantly, trying to, as Grimes tried to figure out what's the best mix he had. And I think we've sort of arrived on it here. And obviously, a better version of this team would be if Maya Tehuma was still around. And everyone wants that, but what's done is done. And these, are, these guys are our starters now, and I think they're in good shape. Um, it's certainly a good sign for the future. And there's really – I saw some rumors today about Weathersby maybe looking to going pro. And I know he has – you know, this could be a, a situation where he's just looking at his lengthy injury history, which has been every single year of his LSU career, and saying, you know, if I can go – get picked in the sixth round, the seventh round, collect a couple paychecks in the NFL, be down with football, that's better than, you know, one more year of college, getting injured again. I don't know. I don't know if that's how he's thinking. Um, you know, for, I think he does have NFL talent. It, it, he's always uh, – he's been a bit inconsistent, but a lot of that has been his health. When he's been on the field, he's, he's been a pretty good player. He just has struggled to stay healthy. So – you're seeing the building blocks of what could be a great offensive line next year. And this year it's still sort of patchwork and it's going to be work in progress, uh, which really leads us to Alabama. And basically every good feeling I had about the old Miss game, I have the opposite for this one. Um, and I'm not, I don't think we should cower to this whole, like, Oh my God, it's Alabama. I hate this mentality that it's like Alabama is just the greatest thing in the world. They're, of course they're number one. Of course they're the best. And it, I, I think that's ridiculous. And I think Poser's been hammering it in the, on Twitter and some of the comments and his pieces. Um, I don't think Bama is a paper tiger. They're not a falsely good team. Of course they're a good team. Uh, I tweeted a couple weeks ago that I felt like I only knew the – the only team I thought was good um, or that we knew that was good was Georgia. And I, I've, I think Georgia has a very impressive resume. They have dominated every single team on their schedule with the exception of Notre Dame, who we now know is an exceptional football team. They went on the road and beat that Notre Dame team. Uh, early in the season, you know, fortunes can change and its emotions and all of that stuff goes into it. But uh, Georgia's a really, really good team, and they're really complete. I like them all around. I like what they can do um, on all three phases, and I, I just think they're a really good team that has a really, really legitimate shot at beating Alabama in the SEC championship game. Um, so Alabama just doesn't really have a resume. If you look at it, they beat the snot out of Florida State. Okay, Florida State was a preseason national title contender. Florida State, we all know now, is 2-5. and five. They're not going to make a bowl in all likelihood. Um, I think for a couple weeks they could pinpoint and say, like, oh, this is on, you know, we lost a quarterback, and that's rough. But this is uh, an abhorrent coaching job, a total failure by Jimbo Fisher. Um, and you can imagine we are LSU fans and been very frustrated by some years with less miles, years where we went 8-5. and five. Yes, eight and five frustrated the hell out of us. That, that was the, the floor with Les, was winning eight games. And that's in a very stacked SEC West with the peak Alabama, 
movement going on and everything. Um, you know, having Florida as your regular opponent, and you've got Auburn, Florida, Alabama, all on your schedule every single year. Every single one of those teams has won a national title within the last 10 years. So that's a pretty real ridiculous slate that LSU has had to run through and less never lost here in that games. Um, so I, Florida state is a disaster. This team is utterly falling apart. And this is, this is truly bottoming out. Like when people talk about LSU was mediocre, like Florida state LSU was, first of all, never posted a mediocre season. We've established that time again on the site. This is below mediocre, what Florida State is doing this year. They're one of the worst teams in the country. And just about every statistical measure would show you that. And if you look at their schedule, there's not a lot of winnable games left either. They still have to play Clemson, and it's just an ugly, ugly situation in Tallahassee. And you're talking about doing a total staff rebuild. Essentially, everything that we critiqued Jimbo on when he was a rumored candidate to replace Les came to light there. Um, and I've talked about it for a while. Like Jimbo is a lot like Les. Um, I don't think he's nearly as charming and likable. I think he's got a bit more of an asshole streak to him. A lot of people say he's like Neo Saban. Uh, I don't see him at all in that realm of Saban. Um, but Jimbo is a great recruiter. Jimbo is a very conservative offensive coach. They run a very slow pace. They always have. Um, they run more of an NFL-style scheme. They like to run the football. And yes, the, the, the major difference between he and Les is that Jimbo has done a much better job of identifying, recruiting, and developing quarterbacks, of course. But if you look at his tenure... He's also not developed a ton of great quarterbacks. He has Jameis Winston, which was tremendous. Uh, but if you look at the rest of the guys that have been there, it's just sort of been hit or miss. They've been He's done a good job of getting production out of them, uh, but they're not great, great quarterbacks. It's not like he's annually bringing through this ridiculous talent level uh, of quarterback. Um, but he does a good job of recruiting college-level quarterbacks and maximizing their abilities. And that's one thing he's just not doing this year. Is he's just not getting enough out of their uh, backup Blackman. So all of this talk about FSU is to basically say that is, like, I'm talking preseason on paper, when you look at their schedule, that was Bama's big game up until this point. And it's a total flop. And I don't think it's all because they just lost to Bama. I, I think it's a, if Florida State had somehow pulled off that upset and beat Alabama, and Francois stayed healthy. I still think this team probably loses a few games. They just don't look good at all. It's tough to judge those situations. You never know what can happen to a season. You can ride a, a lot of emotion and things of that nature. But uh, I just dropped a crab rangoon joke in the middle of this podcast. So uh, bottom line is that that's their big opponent. That is the big Bama win. And it's not that impressive. So if you're really looking at the rest of the schedule, if you go by S&P Plus – their two big wins are mid-majors, or non-Power 5, whatever you want to call them. So Fresno State and Colorado State. Um, according to Bill Connolly's rankings, those are legitimately the best two teams Alabama has played this year. I don't know about you, but I, I'm not buying that. So if you look at who we think is 
who else they played, right? Let's just look at it. Uh, after those two teams, they played at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is terrible. Then they played Ole Miss. Ole Miss is terrible. And they played at A&M. A&M is not terrible, but they are already on their downslide, and they weren't terribly good to begin with. Um, of course, they had the embarrassing opening wing loss to UCLA. They had rallied their season and done what Sumlin teams always do so well, which is play really well the first part of the season. And then here they are again, getting stomped on by Mississippi State. Um, and so then after that, they played Arkansas and Tennessee. So they've played the worst part of their schedule to start the year. And I'm not saying that means everything about Alabama is fraudulent. I'm just saying they really haven't been challenged in any meaningful way. A&M put up a decent fight against them. And it was never a game that was in doubt necessarily, but it was definitely a game where A&M was sort of hanging around. It wasn't a dominant effort the way you see Alabama, the way they dusted basically everyone else. So are there cracks in the armor for Alabama? I don't. I think so. But I don't think LSU is the team to expose them. And I think that's the problem with this week. Um, Alabama's schedule is about to get a lot harder. Obviously, they play us this week. This will we'll be the best team on their schedule to date. Uh, next week, they go after a physical battle with us, which I guarantee you will still be physical. They go to Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State is, is, in my opinion, way too one-dimensional to beat Alabama. I still have no faith in Nick Fitzgerald, but they're a quality team. And they kind of took it on the chin from Georgia and Auburn, but they've rallied from that. And they have the same record as LSU now. So um, Mississippi State is a good team. And then they get Mercer to sort of whatever, rent to win. And then they have to play Auburn. So three of their next four weeks are legitimately good tests. Those are three good opponents. And so we're really going to see how this Alabama team stacks up. And let me tell you what I don't like about Alabama, and this is not rocket science. Everyone that's watched Alabama knows the same thing. Um, they don't really have a passing offense. It, it's not impressive. Um, I All credit to Jalen Hurts. I think he's a quality on-field leader. He's a dynamic runner, and he makes the running game go uh, in unspeakable ways. And it, that's where he can kill you, is he uh, can make plays with his feet, uh, Either on design passes or design runs, he's gonna he makes them a lethal option team. He makes RPOs work because of his ability to get creative and scramble, and he's explosive. And he can hit a seam and hit it for 20 yards and make people look foolish. But he was already a uh, not great passer last season, and he seems to have regressed. And I think that's partially due to losing Lane Kiffin. As, as much as we joked about the Lane Kiffin hire, Kiffin did a tremendous job at Alabama, and he is a great offensive football coach. And there's really too many, there's too much evidence to say otherwise at this point. Um, but if you look at Alabama, their advanced statistics look good. And I know that, you know, they're third in passing S&P, and their success rate is great. And every, every statistic that you can imagine says Alabama is the greatest thing walking planet Earth. I get that. I understand that. Uh, but I'm talking about the product I see on the field. I argued this today on the site. 
all the statistics, when you look at Danny Atling, say, like, man, this guy's a pretty damn good quarterback. I'm watching the guy on the field and thinking he's pretty marginal. So I feel the same about Hurts. Hurts is not a dynamic quarterback. He can't hurt you in the passing game. If LSU had a dominant rush defense, like if LSU had 2016 LSU rush defense, uh, I would give them a puncher's chance in this game because of that reason. Because I think they could do something like what they did last year, which was really restrict anything in the the passing game and swallow down the run, uh, which worked really well until late in the game and sort of the dam broke or, you know, the SEC officials broke, depending depending on how you feel about that. So um, that's sort of the crack in the armor I see with Alabama. And one of the reasons I think Georgia has a great chance of exposing that because I think they can stand up against Alabama's run game in a way that a lot of other teams can't. Georgia is a big, physical, aggressive team. And I think they'll know how to play that run game. Um, I don't think they'll blow out Alabama or anything, but I do think they can beat Alabama because they can make Jalen Hurts be a passer. And I'm not sure Hertz is skilled enough to beat teams when he's forced to be a passer. And I don't think they can run the ball well enough to dominate uh, and take over against a team like Georgia. But against LSU, it's a a major concern I have. Uh, We have not done an exceptional job at stopping the run this year. Um, Basically, every team we've played has successfully been able to push us around in the run game. Part of that is our lack of depth. We don't have a lot of big physical bodies up front. I think Gilmore and Lacatour, they give good effort. They play hard. Uh, they're tough in there, but they're just not thumpers. They're not uh, big space-eating guys that you need. Um, Ed Alexander is. But his health has been sort of up and down. Again, getting healthier, so he's going to help. Um, this is why you recruit guys like Tyler Shelvin, right? This is the week you need Tyler Shelvin. This is the week you need Travante Valentine. Like these are the games that we bring those guys in for. And we LSU just doesn't have them right now. So I think that is totally something that O is aware of and he keeps talking about, obviously. So he's already sort of doing his pregame spin, I think, here to say that, like, hey, like, we just don't really have the horses right now. Um, and he's not wrong. Uh, the other thing is, you know, no one has the horses compared to Alabama. They just obviously have all of the best recruits. And um, we're still waiting on someone to unseat that. So I don't like the matchup there. Um, I don't like the matchup of LSU's defense, what they're good at on, L- on Alabama's offense, what they're good at. It feels a bit like strength on weakness for Alabama. Um, Alabama has a great running game, and I think they'll, sh- they'll be able to find a lot of success running the ball. Now the, the big uh, caveat here, well, let's talk about offense first, and then I'll, I'll go with my caveat. So offensively, I'm not sure what to expect. A lot of people are pointing to the patchwork offensive line and saying there's no way they'll stand up against Alabama's defensive line, and I get that. Um, I think you could look at that a couple different ways. Um, I think the staff is really well aware that what the offensive line can and can't do at this point. I think they've done a better and better job of sort of scheming around it. Um, I think my biggest concern still on offense is Etling. 
Um, Atlin played a miserable game against Alabama last year. It self-admittedly, he missed a lot of open targets. Just looked like the worst version of himself. And Alabama, this is this is not exclusive to Atlin here. Like Alabama has a way of making many many quarterbacks look like the worst version of themselves. So um, I guess what I'm getting at is I haven't seen the progression from Atling. Like if you guys remember the 2012 game, of course, the heartbreaker. Sorry, Katie. Uh, in the 2012 game, Medberger played so damn good in that game that was really the building block because Medberger hadn't really been a great player in 2012. He was okay. He had his moments. I think he threw like six touchdowns against North Texas or something like that. Like who cares? Uh, but he really, he wasn't super impressive. His numbers were pretty pedantic. And he was a very less miles in quarterback. He didn't turn the ball over. He didn't make huge mistakes. He just sort of was okay. Uh, but that Alabama game felt like a coming out party. Um, and I always thought Mettenberger was sort of the quarterback. Mettenberger I, probably wasn't a great quarterback. He was a big step forward for LSU. I always felt like he's the kind of guy that can beat Alabama because he was just like a little too arrogant. And he, like, he believed in himself a little bit too much. And you kind of have to have that edge when you play Alabama. And I worry about that with Edling from a mentality standpoint because I think Edling is a very uh, heady guy. And he'll probably be a great coach, to be honest. But I think he's sort of a reflexive, uh, humble, more of a thinker. And... I don't know if he'll go out there with like this swagger of like, I'm about to dunk on Alabama because that's what I do. And I felt like, you know, Mattenberger had a little bit of that streak to him. And you saw it when he tried to got some run in 2011, try to call his own number on a touchdown on Ole Miss. Like that's just sort of the edge that Mettenberger brought. And you saw it in that 2012 game that he was really making some tight throws, throwing through some tight windows, hitting people in stride, really putting LSU's receivers into athletic positions to make plays and to win that game. LSU should have won that game. Um, and I just, I haven't seen enough of those strides from Etling this season for me to think he could do that against an Alabama defense that's this good. And this opportunistic this is a defense that causes a lot of turnovers and they have Minka Fitzpatrick who is basically, uh, if you don't know players by name and uh, whatever, Fitzpatrick is basically their Tyron Matthew. So just imagine him like that because that's how they use him. He blitzes, he drops, he uh, covers slots, he covers outside guys. He does basically whatever they want him to do because he raises hell. Um, And he should have a legitimate Heisman campaign. He's been that good. Uh, And he's a legit NFL prospect. Like This is a big-time, big-time player. So that's the kind of defense you're dealing with here. And Etling to date, has largely been risk management and then capitalizing on big plays. And we talked about this a little bit on the blog today, and I think Poser and I disagree here, uh, but LSU is still largely a big play offense. Um, John O on the site did a lot of breakdown about normalizing the stats. It, LSU's offense really succeeds when they hit big plays. And I know, again, this is not a rocket science. Every offense succeeds when they hit big plays. But LSU's offense doesn't succeed at all unless they hit big plays. That's my big thing is we're not going to steadily eat away, you know, four yards of carry down the field on anyone. We just haven't done that all season long, much less a team like Alabama who has so successfully dominated our running game the last several years. 
Um, so what's your answer to that? Like how, how does LSU find plays? How do they make plays against this Alabama defense? And this is where I will diverge into trying to be optimistic. So my optimistic read on this game is that you have two of the very best coordinators in college football on either side uh, in Aranda and Canada. And I think it's too much to ask any, anybody to work magic. But these are guys that can design elaborate elite, uh, elaborate and elite schemes for big games. Aranda did it last year against Alabama. And if you remember in interviews, he's talked about that Alabama had the biggest playbook he's ever seen. And they charted like all of their plays and they had something like 120 plays, which is just absurd. Right. And, um, it took all the whiteboards in the office to chart every single play they have, which is just, it's impossible to prepare for. And it's one of the things that made Kiffin so great there. But I, I don't think they quite have as robust a playbook this, this season. Um, and I proposed something to my buddy Logan a couple weeks ago. It's just a weird thought. And this, this is probably the dumbest thought you've ever heard. But I, I'm wondering, is Dave Aranda too good of a defensive coordinator to design a scheme to beat this Alabama team? Because I feel like a not great defensive coordinator, let's just say uh, Kevin Steele. All right. I feel like Kevin Steele's plan for beating Alabama, which we will get to see this in a few weeks, Kevin Steele's plan for beating Alabama would basically be, I'm going to do everything to stop the run. I'm going to put every single body I have at their running game. Every single, we're going to put, you know, nine people in the box and play with two, two defensive backs. Uh, we're, we're going to play with eight down linemen, whatever it takes. Like, that's what I'm going to do to stop this run. You're not going to run the damn ball. You might throw for 400 yards, but if you could throw for 400 yards, then good on you. You haven't shown you can do that yet, so I'm just going to make you run or make you throw. And I feel like Aranda has a more holistic approach and will be like, well, we got a scheme for this. we got to stop that. we got a plan for this. Uh, Aranda strikes me as a guy that always has like a plan B, C, D, E. And that's a silly idea, right, that he can't design a game plan that's good enough to stop Alabama. I don't know. I'm just curious if he will try to – uh, design something elaborate to confuse Alabama and get them out of rhythm um, and try to I'm, – I'm curious if his approach will be riskier in trying to make them take place for loss and set them off schedule, which can upset their running game. I think it's a great approach. Um, or if he will try to do more of a catch-all and defend everything. I think if you're trying to do the defend everything, you might get into trouble. Because uh, I think that's when Alabama can expose you because they're just so well coached. Uh, but I think if you're you're trying to take it to them, if you're trying to force the issue with them, you might get in a situation where you catch Alabama off guard, especially an Alabama team that, yes, they have plenty of people that are well-seasoned veterans uh, on their roster, but an Alabama team that is untested this season. So they may not quite know what it's like for someone to come at them uh, in a skilled way, the way that LSU can. So this could be the week that you really unveil some of your elaborate run blitzes. And there's, you know, it's, 
Donnie Alexander, I guess, is a game-time decision. I don't think that's a major loss. I think I'd rather Tyrod Taylor in there. He's bigger. He's honestly played better this season. Uh, Devin White, you have to turn him loose. He played pretty well against Alabama last year. If you remember, he had some big tackles. So, um, And not just those two on the interior, but I'm talking about getting a guy like Shasson, um, get him more involved. You could do some interesting things there. Work on your nickel packages, bring more elaborate blitzes that we saw them do uh, with Dante Jackson a little bit. Any types of things like that that can, you can use to disrupt their running game, get them off schedule, get them thinking and guessing and trying, rather than just sort of meticulously running their offense and doing what they do, I think is the plan that I would go with. Um, now, the risk of being so aggressive is that you expose yourself for potentially big plays in the passing game um, or missed tackles in the running game being gashed. Um, and it, you may feel like this is not really the, uh, the offense that you want to be involved in a shootout per se, but I actually think it is. And I know this is a crazy thought, but I feel like what else she wants is this game to be a shootout. Cause I feel like a shootout is uncomfortable territory for Alabama. And at this point, a shootout would kind of be like, well, shit, we've seen everything this year. What's a shootout? Like, I feel like we would just sort of let it all go and just let it all hang out there. And that seems crazy to me that you would be in a shootout. But if you think about the games that Alabama has lost over the last several years, they're always shootouts. They don't lose 13-6 to nail buyers. They don't lose games like that. And I know we have played them to some of the closest, like, oh, we should have won that one. But they always win them. They always win a close, low-scoring game. But if you get them in a shootout, it's the, it's the only sign we've really seen Alabama reeling. And it's been different opponents, so they always figure it out and adjust. But Clemson did it to them twice. Ohio State did it to them. Johnny Manziel did it to them. Ole Miss did it to them. So when you get them into those sort of offensive shootouts, it can happen. And you can sort of put them spinning. And all of a sudden, those big, bad defensive linemen don't look so big and bad because they're gassed and they're, they're on their heels and they're guessing. Um, and that's really the plan LSU needs to come with. Now, the major issue is, is LSU offensively talented or not good enough to do that to Alabama? And statistically, looking on the paper, of course not. No one would point to this offense and be like, oh, this is a team that can really ring Bama up. And a lot of people want to talk about that only spreads can beat Alabama. And I think there is some merit to truth, merit to that argument. Um, I think you almost certainly need a running quarterback, which is a guy that can move around a little bit. It doesn't have to be a dynamic runner like a Manziel, uh, but you got to have some mobility. And Edling does have okay mobility. Um, So, you know, he's not a runner, but he, can scramble around. He can get out of a pass rush. Um, he's got to stay calm and collected. He cannot get rattled. He was rattled last year. He just he's going to have to accept that he's going to be harassed. It's just going to happen. Um, so his ability to adapt to that. So again, this is what it comes down to is can Canada deliver the type of scheme he delivered last year when Pitt beat Clemson? Again, same type of thing. Pitt, major underdog, going against this Clemson team, dominant defensive line, dominant defense, eventual national title winner, got into a shootout with a great team and ends up winning. 
Um, I think that's the kind of game LSU needs to force. And I don't know if Etling is good enough to make good on that. But I think the big uh, variable here is college football is hugely emotional. And I think a lot of the reason people hate Alabama's teams, and I think this is an unfair criticism by the same token, is that they are sort of a cruel, emotionless machine. Um, And you can see, you know, even their players, they talk about, well, it's just business. Everything's just business. We're just, it's business, 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 championship. And it's just sort of this sort of like, this is what we do. We show up for work and we leave work. We punch in, we punch out. And that's, that's what we do here. Um, that's fine, but I think that sort of sucks the joy out of college football. Uh, part of the reason we all love it is because it's these immature, temperamental players that can implode at any minute, which also means they could explode at any minute. Um, and I think you've got this sentiment around the program that, hell, why not? You know what? We're 6-2. and two. We lost to Troy. If we lose again, oh, so what? Everyone thought we were going to lose anyways. So who the hell cares? And I think there's an, an edge there that may have been missing in the last couple of years. And not an edge. It, it was almost like walking on a tightrope with the last few years with the Miles teams. It was like there was – they were always just tight in that game. And that, they never were just like let loose and play the way they would in other games. And I feel like this change of regime with Ogeron and everything might be enough to – sort of let that down and just go out there and tear it up and try to have fun and try to make a difference, try to make big plays, try to make big things happen. Um, Which could mean you get a lot of the stupid things from that too. It could mean early penalties. It could mean turnovers. It could mean disaster. There's an imminent chance that this could turn into a disaster, but I, I would love to see LSU just be flying around and um, really just like playing their hearts out and, playing their guts out and playing like they have nothing to lose because they have nothing to lose. Um, and I think that that emotion is an underrated part of this game in that basically everyone is telling LSU they're going to lose. Vegas has this as, as tremendous underdogs. Every single TV show, every single radio expert, everyone everywhere is talking about how badly Alabama will beat us. You have the media and players from Alabama manufacturing criticism from Devin White saying that, you know, sometimes the little brother grows up to beat the big brother. Uh, Convenient leaving off the first part of the quote where he basically talked about how they've kicked our ass for the last six years. So um, I think some of that emotion is going on. And I don't underrate that emotion. That's all I'm saying. I don't expect LSU to win this game. I don't. Uh, me personally, I am going in with the lowest expectations, and I know that's loser talk. I hate it, but I, I don't expect good things. I want LSU to play hard. Um, I would take a valiant loss, and it wouldn't be a moral victory for me. It would suck, but if we lose valiantly, it shows we're making progress as a program. And that Ogeron isn't just totally inequipped to do what we hired him for, right? Uh, But it does feel like we're just not there yet. We don't have quite the talented players. We're not good enough at quarterback. We're not good enough on the lines. 
And this particular LSU team just doesn't really match up with this Alabama team well. If we had a dominant run defense and uh, maybe a little more, like, and we were in year two of Canada, I feel a little more confident. Um, maybe not confident per se, but just I would feel more like we have a puncher's chance. But right now, it just if you look at basically everything on paper, there's nothing to say like, yeah, this is something that LSU could take advantage of. So that's when you really have to start reaching. And um, so that's where I turn to, you have these assistant coaches. We pay them a ton of money. This is why. We pay Can- Matt Canada $2 million whatever dollars to devise a scheme to beat Alabama. And we have got to hope that what he can scheme up, that he can take advantage and exploit their defense in a way that no one has done this year. That's what you're hoping for. And you've got to hope that Aranda has studied all the film and has this defense geared up and mentally ready and physically ready to stop the running game in a way that they haven't any other weeks. You know what? If those things happen, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. Uh, I think the, the, the spread is a little intense. I'm not sure LSU is really three touchdowns worse than Alabama. I do think they're worse than Alabama, but three touchdowns is a, it's a huge spread. That's sort of a cupcake spread. Um, so expecting LSU to hang tough, at least for a half, if this game ends up being a lot closer than a lot of the spreads say, uh, I'm not going to be surprised. I think they're going to go in there ready to fight, and it's going to be a dogfight. They're going to make Alabama earn it. Uh, I think in the end, the lack of depth and lack of talent at key positions is going to cause them to lose out to Alabama. But I do think that they'll put up a fight, and I think we'll be proud of the way they play. I don't think this is going to be a situation where, um, you know, we look helpless. And um, I could be wrong about that. But again, it's a, it's Bama week, so it's a it's a rivalry game. It's the one we put all of our hope and you know all of our fears and all of our aspirations are tied to this game for however long in the future. As long as Nick Saban chooses to stay in Tuscaloosa, we will forever be linked to this game. And, um, you know, the winner of this game is in control of the SEC West. And LSU is very much in control of their own destiny. So the best thing we could do is just play why not. So why the hell not? You know, why not just go in there and uh, spring an upset? Make it fun. It's it, This season has a little bit of that... We're, we're commemorating the 2007 season well so far with uh, multiple upsets and top teams falling every other week. So um, why not just continue the tradition and have another one go down here? So that's sort of my thoughts. I think I rambled on way longer than I ever thought I could, which is proof that my brain is always thinking about things and I'm not saying them. So um First ever sneaky good podcast solo show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. And we will see you on Saturday.